and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. When this podcast was just beginning, we sat down with the co-founder of Turn PA Blue, Jamie Parapato, who now have had dozens and dozens of diverse guests and thousands and thousands of diverse listeners. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. If you can, take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. The Turn PA Blue is a grassroots organization that came about after the 2016 election, with just a few volunteers in suburban Philadelphia. Now, on the eve of this historic election, The leadership of the group is intimately familiar with the dynamics and personalities of each and every toss-up statehouse race. Their volunteer army has hit more doors, they've made more calls, they've written more postcards, they've sent more text than ever before in Pennsylvania history. With the night of the 2024 presidential election, control of the Pennsylvania State House will have national ramifications. We should not lose sight of this. As this historic campaign concludes, I'm really looking forward to hearing Jamie's perspective. Jamie Parapato, welcome back to my kitchen table. Happy to be back. This podcast has grown like exponentially since you and I uh, first sat down in the first few months of the Biden administration. It's good to say Biden administration. And your knuckles must be pretty raw because you and your team have knocked countless doors over the last year. So 100,000 since the primary. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, Look, we have a lot, increasingly a lot of listeners outside of Pennsylvania, and even I'm very curious about these folks in Europe and Israel and elsewhere. So let's just take a step back and remind folks of kind of the context of how this extraordinary organization came to be and how you just kind of put your life on hold and have plunged into, you know, incredible grassroots organizing. Well, this is my life now, and this is a lot of our lives now. I mean, this really has to be a civic engagement off the charts because of the kind of threats that we're facing here. We started after Donald Trump got elected. There was all these people who were understandably, you know, anxious and concerned and motivated, you know, to get involved. And we, uh, my partner, Andrea and I, connected with Art Haywood early on, and we discussed, like, what's the best way to get people involved in politics? And um, Senator Haywood suggested the state legislature, since it doesn't nearly get enough attention or resources. It's definitely become a little more popular, you know, as we go through uh, further threats to democracy. I think people are starting to realize the state, the role the states play. But that's what we worked on in 2018 and through the present. So we work every election, every year. Uh, it all builds off of each other. And, you know, volunteers come to us because we try to make uh, political volunteering accessible. We These are our customers. These are people we need. Our volunteers are so valuable to the work that we're doing that making, you know, making this accessible and, and work for people who want to give us their time is, uh, is, is the priority for us. And they do amazing work. I had mentioned we did 100,000 doors since the primary, 300,000 phone calls, 900,000 texts. 350,000 postcards, and we've raised over $280,000 for 50 different candidates, uh, state-led candidates. So we are cranking. So it's exciting. 
Cranking and then some. Cranking and then and some. Just to remind listeners, you, you physically are in Montgomery County, but I get the sense you're putting on a lot of road miles and your organization is across every media market of Pennsylvania, correct? Yep. We have an organizer. So we have someone, two in Montgomery County, one in Philly, Bucks County, South Central, Lehigh Valley, Reading. So it's like Reading Burks area. And yeah, we're working to uh, get somebody on the ground in rural Pennsylvania out West. So we're going to be looking at those races too. We have a pretty big rural program that we kind of started on. All right. Well, let's uh, get granular. Where where do you want to start? Should we start in your home region of the Philadelphia suburbs or start? I mean, I think that we got to start and finish in the Philadelphia suburbs because I think for Democrats, you know, the way it's trending and the way it's looking, you know, Montgomery County doesn't really have a strong Republican presence anymore, you know, at the county level. And I think we're getting to that level in Chester and Delaware County. I think it just gets more solidly, solidly, reliably blue. And I think that's, you know, a bigger chunk of real estate that Democrats can control down here, which is super important for statewide races. All right. So I would hope listeners by this point are familiar with there's 203 state representatives, there's 50 state senators, the Republicans hold the majority in both bodies, but you're working to change that. So why don't we start in Montgomery County uh, and talk about what races you're active in and give some anecdotes. So the the best, as you know, the best likelihood we have is flipping the house. You know, I think some of the Senate maps kind of put us, you know, a majority out of reach, you know, and it's also mathematically impossible this year because some of the seats that we need are not even up. Uh, since it's four-year terms. But the biggest race in Montgomery County is the 151, as usual, trying to unseat Todd Stevens. That has, that's, a, a, I would say, a faux-moderate Republican from the, from the suburbs who is trying to uh, hold on to his seat despite the fact that his district went for Biden. I don't even remember. Was it like 30 points? I can't remember, but it was a lot. And remind folks the, uh, the, the townships or which part of Montgomery County? Um, Horsham. Mm-hmm. And I think they traded Montgomery Township and now they have Ambler and they have parts of like North Penn School District. So it's a really interesting district that definitely got a little more favorable to Democrats. Sorry, that's my dog. But it's still, you know, the battle for the incumbent. You know, we have a, a popular incumbent who everybody knows in his part of the district, particularly Horsham, because that's where he's from. That's where his family's from. That's where he does, you know, most of his you know work that he does. And so it, it, it's definitely, you know, tough to come up against Republicans. Everybody wants to be bipartisan or they want to believe in bipartisanship. So I think that's how some of these guys hold on without producing results. And I, I think one of the things most exciting about that race is Planned Parenthood came out and basically blew up the illusion of Todd Stevens as a pro-choice Republican saying, you know, you need to go farther. You know, in light of Dobbs, you have not gone far enough. You have not committed to go far enough. And we don't think you will go far enough. So it's kind of taking the, you know, moderate moniker away and exposing, you know, these guys for what they are, which is they vote with the Republican majority, like 90% of the time, you know, you have on the Senate, they're voting with Doug Mastriano. And then here on, you know, the House side, they're voting, they were voting with Terzai, they're voting with Benninghoff, they're voting, you know, in all these atrocious ways thinking you know that people aren't going to notice and a lot of time they don't I'd r- remind folks uh, who's the dem challenger missy serato who's an amazing amazing candidate she's so fierce she works so hard and she's having the conversations that matter which is we don't need someone unreliable in harrisburg 
it's kind of like Brian Fitzpatrick. Maybe they throw you a vote and once in a blue moon, then everybody thinks they're moderates. Like, no, you got to show up. We got to be able to count on you. And we have never been able to count on Todd Stevens. So she's taking it to him in a really fight race. Uh, He's getting super petty. You know, I think he sees the writing on the wall with, you know, redistricting and, and then the momentum around choice, especially in that district. And he plays dirty. So that's what he's doing. So for listeners, that's, I suppose, about 35, 40 minutes from uh, Center City, Philadelphia. Since you mentioned Congressman Fitzpatrick, why don't we head east and talk about um, what y'all are up to in Bucks County? Oh, I listened to your Bucks County podcast. Bucks County is tough. That once again, we talk about this moniker that Brian Fitzpatrick gets away with, you know, saying he's a moderate. And I love from your last podcast, like he gets away with this because his strategy is to not engage with constituents or voters so no one can hold him accountable for what he votes and what doesn't vote. I guess that's a strategy, but people want answers on choice. You know, people on the Democratic side, swing voters, want to know where you stand on these issues. You know, there's times where you can be quiet, you know, and your silence is deafening. And this is one of them. Like, will you vote to protect a woman's right to choose? And he's been deathly silent, as usual, when it matters. So as, as, as Jamie alluded to, I was honored to sit down with a great local reporter. He obviously had to be nonpartisan, but he gave some really granular perspective on some of the races at play. Um, Jamie, you're quite partisan. Uh, so I'm so partisan. <laughs> what, what, what's, what, what's your assessment of what's percolating up there in Bucks County? I mean, Bucks County is always interesting to me. I mean, if you look at the 2021 results, we're pretty devastating. I mean, the Democrats got swept at the... Um, we lost all the row officers and, but their vote by mail program there is top notch, top notch. They're pulling in so many low propensity voters through their vote by mail program. It's total. It's so interesting. It's always this, I think, quest for bipartisanism in, in Bucks County, you know, especially because the demographics of the one County are also, I think, diverse from one another. So it's, it's not like you have in a Monco where you have like a lower Marion or Abington or in Delco, you have like Swarthmore media where you have like big chunks of Dems, you know, where you go in there and you just get like 80% turnout or something like that. Bucks, you fight for every vote everywhere. I mean, they're fighting it. Ashley is running. Ashley Ehaz, who is running against Brian Fitzpatrick, is running a really strong campaign uniting people, especially on the issue of choice. And I, I think we're going to see we see a lot of things moving, a lot of moving parts. And I wonder where people's interest in the Dobbs decision and what's happening with abortion, like how that runs up against some of the other issues. And is this enough to make people turn out and make people vote? And I think kind of what we're seeing with vote by mail voting, early voting in Bucks County that it's a very positive sign. You know, is it enough? Is it enough to overcome the fact that Republicans have been gaining, well, up until the Dobbs leak, uh, had been gaining in voter registration for a year and a half, maybe longer. I don't know. I think maybe I blocked it out. But there was a lot of Republican gains that have just recently been reversed in light of Dobbs. But, you know, is there enough? Is there enough turnout on either side? And Bucks is, is right in the middle of it. You fight for every, every vote in every region. So before we go to other counties, other regions, yeah, I, I heard retired U.S. ambassador tell me that he's been spending weekends, compliments have turned PA blue in Bucks County. He's been trekking up from suburban Maryland. And I'm just kind of curious as you you know work with these extraordinary grassroots volunteers, I mean, are they local? Are they coming from near and far? I mean, give give folks a sense of uh, your foot soldiers. Both. I mean, our, our goal term PA blue is, you know, we want to support the local 
infrastructure. You know, we are here for the campaigns, the candidates, the local committees. You know, we work through them and we we see how they can build, you know, and help them. And by bringing volunteers to help with down doors or some, you know, that love to come in and, and go on persuasion doors, like we're just kind of taking them the burden off them so they could have the tough conversation. So it's amazing to me how dedicated volunteers are. Um, we have a lot of New Yorkers that come into Box. They also love to come down here when, you know, you can go like leaf peeping and knock on doors. I mean, Bucks County is so much beautiful places. We're not really sending them to the beautiful places, but they're coming at least driving through them. But Maryland, D.C., and, you know, people from counties that are blue, people from Philadelphia, you know, some of the Philly suburbs as they're getting blue, people realize the importance of, of Bucks County and, and what we're up against there. So, yeah, it's amazing to see, you know, we, we mostly try to build from within, from local to try to, you know, help them expand their operations and bring more people into the fold and give them training and talking points. You know, Democrats have to do their research. You know, we always have to do their research and, and they're afraid they don't know enough. Um, and we make sure they do. So, yeah, they're trained, they're ready and they're super savvy because they realize that Bucks County is the purple of the purple. After 21, it looked a little maroon to me. So I'm very curious to see where we're headed now that their feet are being held to the fire. This is not bipartisanship anymore. Like none of that, the illusion of it, there isn't any. Well, you all did a lot of research four years ago in Delaware County. Oh, yeah. Um, had some great successes there. So if we can speak to what's um, on the ballot and what you're focused on in Delaware County. And, and for listeners, once again, who aren't as familiar, chastise you. You should look at your Pennsylvania map if you're listening to the show. But... As I said, we have listeners all over the country, and that's west of Philadelphia now. It's west of Philadelphia. Delaware County, we flipped county control in 2019. At the county level, Delco had been under Republican control since the Civil War. So it was a very heavy lift, and we chipped away at it starting in 2017, picked up two Democratic seats um, at the county, and then, you know, pulled in a ton of seats with Jen O'Mara and Mike Zabel and Tim Carney, getting a ton of Democrats elected. So now there's Two more standings, two last two Republicans standing, which are Chris Quinn and I call him I, I call him the commander. I can't even remember what his real name, Craig Williams. <laughs> so that's who's left. So Chris Quinn is another one who likes to pretend he's moderate, but he also seems very hell-bent on like running off the floor every single time there's a contentious vote. You can count on Chris Quinn taking leave so he doesn't have to make any tough votes. But that district, we lost twice with great candidates and Kristen Seal and Deb Siamaka by horrifyingly, depressingly small amounts, a few hundred both times. But redistricting was kind to us in that area because we swapped Marple for Radnor. And now this is a fair district. And so we're running for the first time ever since Term People Blue started in fair districts. And this is one that we got beaten by the numbers, I feel like, every single time. We were outperforming, but the ceiling was too high as far as registered Republicans. But the change in Del in Delaware County is amazing. I was looking at some data. It's probably not completely updated because the deadline was yesterday with respect to voter regist registration. And you know, we were seeing Republicans gaining ground almost everywhere across Pennsylvania. But Delco is the highest, added 4,000 new Dems. So that is getting, I think, hopefully after this, we'll be getting solidly out of reach for Republicans. And I think Chester is headed that way as well. Let's get to Chester County in a minute. I should have uh, reminded listeners of this. So there's about 70,000 or so constituents in each state house district. Yes. So as you're looking super granular with this data, what are we anticipating? You know, you must be looking at turnout models and then you 
cut that in half, or hopefully these candidates win by more than fifty point one percent. But you know, what, need what one more vote than the other guy. It's close. You know, I mean, these districts, they're brand new. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, this site, I, I heard something that said that nationwide, $9 billion is being spent between both sides on, on, on midterms, which is vile. I think if, but that's a whole nother podcast, I guess. But these are new districts. So you even have incumbents who aren't really sure. I mean, these districts were drawn based on data, but data doesn't always match up what you see on the ground. I mean, a prime example of that is lower boxer Northeast Philly. I mean, those are registered Democrats with a high DPI and registration um, advantage for Dems. And they routinely wrote for um, Republicans. So I think, you know, we have to take these districts out for a spin and see what is really happening there. But we're, we're, and, we're, we're talking like 20 to 25,000. Yeah, uh, it's close. Could, I mean, these are close races. In 2018, we were 25,000 votes away from flipping both chambers, and that was on the bad maps. So, you know, we're focused on getting ballots returned, and every single vote counts. I mean, we the races we work on, some of them we've won by super tight margins, other we've lost by absurd margins. Another Bucks County was Tina Davis for Senate. I think that was 65 votes. I mean, this gets close. And when you think about all the stuff that's happening in court and all the lawsuits, you know, that are being brought by Republicans in an attempt to suppress voting, you know, how many ballots are going to get thrown out for failure to put a date on the envelope that's postmarked, you know, so, you know, how close is it going to be and how much voter suppression are we going to have to overcome to make everybody's vote count? Because they're all going to count. Well, you're, you're referencing my home county of Lehigh, which uh, oh, Lehigh. Had, had a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, but got bounced back. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Why don't we stay immediately in the Philadelphia suburbs with Chester County? Because uh, it's just been remarkable. I mean, from it's solid remarkable. red to purple to a, a light blue, what's happened in that county. So maybe speak to some of the, uh, the hot races there, and then we'll go up the uh, Northeast Extension. So the hot race there on the house side is Paul Friel. Um, against Tim Hennessy. Tim Hennessy's been in that seat for like 500 years. I have no idea. He was the head of transportation, which I think, you know, says wonders about the state of our infrastructure in Pennsylvania, that he thinks that's a claim to fame. But he was one of the first ones who signed an election denial letter or an audit letter or whatever that nonsense was happening. And he banked really far left, far right. So he kind of got Trumpier than ever in 2020, you know, and he miscalculated because he traded in you know, more rural parts of his district where there was a lot of Amish and it was a more conservative for Phoenixville. So I think he, you know, he bet on the wrong horse. He went super Trumpy in a district that got more liberal. And I'm not seeing a ton of spending from Hennessy too. So Paul overlaps with Katie Muth, who has a tough reelect. You know, not surprisingly, the Republicans are going after her hardcore in, the, you know, in, in media and television. But the beauty there is nobody knocks doors like Katie Muth. So she has been out there on the doors. This is a freshman state senator. Freshman and state senator. We, we were honored to sit down with her, uh, I guess, also about a year and a half ago. And what a dynamo. Uh, She's a complete dynamo. She took out the Senate's long-term transportation chair who went through that entire 2018 election with nobody thinking Katie could win. And he never once said her name, like in an ad, anything. He never acknowledged her, never spoke to her, didn't even concede. So maybe we'll take out the other infrastructure chair. I think that's particularly fitting insofar as the state of infrastructure in Pennsylvania. Maybe it's super micro and granular, but it makes me happy on a super petty level because it's gross. All right. So speaking about infrastructure, it's dragging on and on, but the 
good folks are widening the Northeast Extension uh, 476 to go up to uh, my, my hometown, Allentown. You said you had an organizer in the Lehigh Valley. My ears perked up. I'd be curious what uh, you guys are up to there. Uh, and listeners will know this is also the open, I'm sorry, not open, no, definitely not open, but it's the Susan Wilde, Lisa Scheller seat, which is an open question because it's uh, it's a it's a dog fight. I mean, it's the closest. It's such a race. dog fight. I mean, those are probably some of the most despicable ads I think that I've seen. The ones against Susan Wilde, but her district got harder. She she traded in like the Stroudsburg area for Carbon County, which is not Democratic friendly uh, whatsoever. So she definitely has a harder road ahead of her. We have that open Senate seat in SD 14, which is a brand new Senate seat that we got drawn in the map. So that's a first time race with uh, Nick Miller. And, you know, there's other parts of that district that are interesting to me, which is, well, if you're a Lehigh, Northampton person is is, uh, Joe Emmerich's seat. So only 39% of that district was Joe Emmerich's before. So I don't know how much of the fact that he was a really good football player in high school is going to play with the new district, but we're running a candidate who's amazing. Her name is Anna Thomas. She's a better athlete because she was a collegiate national championship rower. So if you're going to care about somebody's like, you know, college and high school sports resume, I'll take Anna any day. But, you know, joking aside, she's working really hard. And, and, you know, I, I think the Republican Party might be banking too far right too fast for Lehigh. And I, and I hope so anyway. So I, I, I think we'll we'll see what's going on, um, especially with Pat Brown, who is a long term um, appropriations chair, moderate, another, if you can't see my air quotes, my um, moderate, who lost very close primary to a very extreme right candidate. So that's yeah, I think that's people, people are going to be talking about that for a good while. We obviously have a lot of Harrisburg uh, insiders who listen to this show and, you know, uh, a lot of lobbyists are <laughs> scratching their head. How did yeah, they lost the both their appropriations shares in their own primaries. Yep, yep, yep. Right um, before the budget. Exactly. That's a good point. And I'm sorry if I misheard. You, you have active foot soldiers up in Northeast PA? Yeah. Well, for NEPA, you mean, or in Lehigh? No, no, no. As, as we move our way further north uh, now into Matt Cartwright's congressional uh, district, which is also razor thin margins and... Um, you know, my understanding is there is uh, at least one uh, state house race that's uh, super targeted up there. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have retirements up there. So that's, you know, we have Mike Carroll's retirement and we have my free Terry Mullery's retirement. And, you know, that district, you know, while Susan Wilde's district got harder, I do think that Cartwright's got a little better, but it's not like he has a ton of breathing room up there. That is one of the areas where like we rely on the local community. Cartwright is running an amazing campaign and nobody outworks that man. So we're sending volunteers through the Cartwright campaign to work in all these areas because there's already a structure on the ground and people love Matt Cartwright. I mean, he's, he's a real deal. So it's, it's great to be, you know, working with them and selling, sending volunteers. I think they have some, but you know, New Yorkers like to go into NEPA a lot. So I think they're sending buses to try to help do some turnout, uh, including in Hazleton with Spanish speakers. It's just really exciting how people realize how important this is and how they want to roll up their sleeves and help however they can. And I love to see that they're, um, you know, how this is, we just have to connect people up there and, and it works. So it's, it's great to see. There's another house seat up there, Monroe, which is Tara Probst. That's the seat that's open with Rosemary Brown running uh, for Scavello's open seat in the SD40. So yeah, definitely. There's like a lot happening. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of, I don't know how many off the top of my head, I probably could think of it, but how many state house incumbents are running for Senate? 
So there's a lot of shuffling. Let's um, head west. You've been super generous with your time. We still have a, Big bit, more, have a bit more to cover. No, it's, uh, I think we might as well look at the Harrisburg media market. In past cycles, you've been super active as these you know, bedroom communities, the, the, the city of Baltimore. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible how much farmland, I think, for worse has been turned over, but it's a lot of new transplants and these counties are getting a little more purple. So if we could talk a little about what may or may not be percolating outside of Harrisburg. I think that region is the most exciting. At the last time I looked at, like I said, the data moves so fast anymore. But the last time I looked at it, South Central had about as many vote by mail applications as Philadelphia did. I mean, Philly's ballots went out late because of some lawsuits and stuff. But their Dauphin is poised to pick up two seats just because of redistricting. That should be theirs, uh, should be ours. I don't even know if they have opponents. If they do, they, they're barely running. But the, I think the big story is Cumberland County. Because Cumberland County has a candidate named Sarah Adgerton. Cumberland County is showing up. Like if you want to have like a Cinderella pick or someplace that goes blue, like keep your eyes on Cumberland because they are working so hard and they are not, you know, they're not going to be called a red county. You know, they are a purple county. They're working hard and it's really exciting to see um, what's going on down there. And hopefully some of the distaste around Scott Perry, you know, translates over and helps us. I mean, he gets more despicable every day. I'm Probably. sure all your listeners. There's a whole know podcast to be had about Perry. Congressman Scott Perry and uh, dare I say Brigadier General Scott Perry, but um, uh, th- this is this is right across the, the the Susquehanna River from Harrisburg. Folks might know Dickinson College and the beautiful community of Carlisle, but my my recollection actually is that Governor Wolf won the county in 2018 uh, at the beginning of this slightly. Blue. What Cumberland? Yeah. Huh? I didn't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they organize really well. They're there working so hard. They're one of those counties like that you totally root for because they really are coming together. So it's exciting. And we get a lot of volunteers from the Maryland. You know, we kind of, we get them in even years and then they go to Virginia in the odd years for their state legislative races. But, you know, Jamie Raskin's district is borders Pennsylvania too. So Representative Raskin is always very supportive of, of the work and stuff up here in Pennsylvania. So only if listeners can't, if they can't sleep for some reason in the final few hours of this campaign, I'd encourage them to listen to the conversation we had with Allies for Democracy, which is a Baltimore County grassroots group that my understanding works very closely with your grassroots group, Jamie, yeah. and regularly is coming up I-83 to this part of Pennsylvania. All right, let's... Um, arguably save the best for last, uh, oh, the Wild which, you know, it's just a fascinating on so many levels uh, ecosystem around Pittsburgh. And my understanding is that right there adjacent to Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, there's two incredibly hot opportunities for Democratic pickups. Uh, yes, Arvin Venkat and Mandy Steele. You know, and don't forget, this is all nestled in the same, you know, real estate as you have that nestled those districts are nestled under Lizzie, Lindsay Williams, who the Republicans are um, coming after. I think they keep increasing the buy against her daily. It's a very tumultuous region. You know, don't forget, we lost Pam Iovino in 2020 in the midst of everything else that happened. Plus, you have those two congressional races out there with Connor Lamb's old seat and Summer Lee, who is running against Republican Mike Doyle to replace Democrat Mike Doyle. So like in the category of you can't make this shit up in Pennsylvania, we have, you know, an opponent that has the same name as our long-term incumbent that is leaving. So that's well, a lot of fun. A test of Pennsylvania political trivia has asked folks about Bob Casey and the real Bob Casey, but that's going back to, I think, before you and I were born, Jamie. But I've heard stories. Uh, um, okay. 
So the open Chris Delucia is the Democratic nominee for Congress. It's a new congressional seat that was largely held by, uh, by, by Connor Lamb. So these two races, are they in that seat or they're in the open Mike Doyle congressional seat? Most of them are in the Mike Doyle congressional seat, but I think there are parts of them, especially in that region where we're working that 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 congressional race is implicated too in the region, especially with the media market. I mean, it looks from the outside that that's where I think the Republicans think they can hold the most ground and they're dumping a ton of money, you know, out there and, you know. Western politics are a different type of dirty than we're used to over here in SEPA. I mean, it gets very visceral and, you know, it's a lot of ground fighting. But I, the work that has been done out in Western PA, they're working hard. All these campaigns are working so hard. I think from what I read, Arvin Venkat has knocked more doors than anyone in Pennsylvania. And I think maybe, you know, a couple of state ledge candidates in Ohio or something. I mean, he is knocking doors all over the place. So, and, you know, Lindsay is a fighter. Lindsay got in, I don't know if, if the readers re- or the listeners remember, she got in by a very small margin and then they refused to seat her when she, after she won. So it is definitely, you know, an area to watch, but on, on the good side is Allegheny voters love to vote by mail. They do. Their numbers are through the roof. You know, the, the ballots went out earlier this time. I guess they didn't have the lawsuits that plagued a lot of the other places. And, you know, they're already returning ballots. So that's a lot of votes. That's a lot of votes that are going to come in that that way. And the way it's been breaking down is 70% of the, you know, I think the projections to hit 1.4 million ballots. That's where they think that will do, you know, by election day. And 70% of those at least are, are Democratic ballots. 20% are Republican. And then you have about, you know, the rest is other voters. And that's about 125,000 voters other who are voting by mail. I mean, like I said, I, I, you can't quote me on this, but you know, if you believe in voting by mail, I would think that hopefully you would lean our way because if you are, you know, the kind of third party candidate that thinks like the Republican party isn't extreme enough, I'm not sure you're really voting by mail since, you know, an interesting turn of events, Trump decided to shit all over vote by mail, which was like the ace in the hole for Republicans. So that's like a, another odd little wrinkle that we have here in Pennsylvania is Republicans don't trust it because of their own party. Yet all of them vote by mail. So. All right. So it's what's it's close. That's th- th- what it is. is. It's close. Yeah. And you know what I'm, I'm concerned is that the evening of November 8th is going to happen and we're still not going to have a clear sense of who controls the Pennsylvania State House. Uh, oh, we 100% will not. What I'm really afraid of is it could be December 8th, and we might still have active litigation and control of the majority of the State House might hinge on one or two seats. But okay, so jump ahead, and we'll end with this, Jamie. A new governor sworn in, we believe it's Josh Shapiro. A new lieutenant governor sworn in, we believe it's Austin Davis. And the State House has a new majority. What do you, if you had a magic wand, what do you see as, uh, you know, to the extent that you can prophesize and, you know, you're having conversations with a lot of these candidates, you have your finger on the pulse. What what, what do you, uh, you know, if you had a magic wand, would the top priorities be in the first six months of the year? If we had control of the state legislature? If you had a full, oh full blue control, well, no, it wouldn't be full, but the state house and the uh, the governor's mansion. I mean, I think the first thing you do is you put a stop to all of these regressive constitutional amendments. I think from what I read, there's like 70 different ones, but as many as six could appear appear on the ballot as early as the 2023 primary. So abortion could be on the ballot in 20. 
23 if we don't flip the state house. So, you know, traditionally ballot measures pass in Pennsylvania. So that's disturbing. So I think that would be the first thing you do is you put an end to these constitutional amendments that are meant to work around the governor's veto power. I think, you know, then of course, after we've already elected Joanna McClinton, our speaker, which is super exciting. And I think that one, you know, of course, maybe I'm biased, but I think one of the things we have to do is iron out some of the uncertainty around Act 77 and and voting, and you know, because that's the core of everything from that leads on. I mean, if Act 77 has so many like little provisions and, and the fact, you know, the worst one I think is once you start counting, you can't stop and all of these strange rules that make everything that much harder. And if we were allowed to just put through an amended Act 77 with automatic voter registration and the things that we spend so much time and effort trying to claw back from Republicans that are just basic necessities as far as voting goes. I mean, I think that clears up a lot of problems that you have. I mean, not to mention all the social part. I mean, we could raise the minimum wage from 725 in Pennsylvania. Could you imagine that? You know, the lowest in the region. There's just so many. Gosh, I didn't even think about that. I just try to get through the next day to think of all the good stuff that we could do. Yeah, no, 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 no. They, they, I always talk about candidates that measure the drapes before election day. So, okay, we we, we should stop. We should. Yeah, I'm looking at taking off to, the uh, constitutional amendments and like getting a clean Act 77. Like, I don't get greedy. All right, but in the meantime, we're going to run through the tape, as they say, and uh, we're going to win big on uh, uh, election night. So, Jamie, yeah, thank well, you. Not for on election night. Prepare your listeners. It will not be election night. 1.4 million ballots have to get counted, and they can't start till that morning. So. And you have you have counties that are talking about hand recounts for some reason. Yeah, but we have three uh, that's a counties. whole other discussion. Yeah, we have three counties that did not certify the primary results. Like, buckle up because it's Pennsylvania. We're looking at you, Burks, Lancaster. Looking at you, Burks, Lancaster, <laughs> Butler. Butler's engaging in shenanigans all the time out there. Let's 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 not forget Lycoming. But all right. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, PAPoliticalPodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week.